All right, everybody, welcome to Dojo Talks. Today we're talking about once great chess companies. And I thought this would be interesting because, well, some companies that used to be huge in chess have gone away. I wanna talk about what influence they had on the chess community's life in general. I wanna see what Kosi and David's relationship to them was and why they failed. They both, can, the ones that I was thinking of continue to kind of sort of exist, but we're gonna talk about a bunch. So first I'm gonna name the two companies that inspired me to propose this as a topic, but there are actually others. So the two main ones for me were ICC, Internet Chess Club, we'll talk more about that, and Chessbase. Both of them have gone down the tubes basically. Um, but Kosia mentioned also there's been a number of companies that have been bought really by chess.com. There was Chess24, there was uh, Chess Bomb, um, and those were interesting. A lot of people were into those. I didn't have that big of a personal relationship to those companies, but I know that a lot of other people did. Um, and me and David were talking about before the show too, that in the late 90s, Mig Greengard was writing amazing journalism. It got posted on Chessbase. It was kind of an independent voice and then Peter Doggers was, but he got subsumed into Kasparov's team, Meg Greengard did. And then Peter Doggers had a great independent voice and that was also kind of bought by chess.com. Anyways, we, I mentioned those because even though that's more journalism, we don't really have a fresh voice in journalism that's both fun and like well-written and well-researched. So how about is this guys, tell me your personal relationship, if any, to, let's start with ICC. Kosi is maybe too young, but uh, let's just ask Kosi no, about ICC. No. I remember ICC. ICC, I, I remember very clearly. I remember seeing flyers for ICC. And I remember signing up when I was maybe 13 years old was the first time. Um, and uh, it was a paid account, which was new for me. But I was like kind of starting to take chess seriously. So uh, I, my coach told me like an ICC account was, was a good idea. Uh, and I spent my first several years on ICC. I remember, you know, I did all the stuff. I played tournaments. I played online. I got into, um, you know, I played the bots. I played like slow-mo and slow bro. And I did the puzzle bots. And I remember practicing uh, my checkmates on ICC. Um, I remember getting into uh, vicious, vicious, you know, online arguments on ICC. Because I was young, you know, playing blitz against others. So we would, there would be uh -huh. some kibitzing, some back and forth. Um, so yeah, I remember ICC. I remember when chess.com sort of started to take over and I remember spending like, you know, all my time on ICC and then gradually I started using chess.com more and then like watching more shows on chess.com, like especially the commentary because there was commentary in ICC, but it wasn't, uh, super high quality. I think it was usually without video. Then you had like chess TV, you know, you had like chess commentary with video, you had all these videos on chess.com mm -hmm. and then all these tournaments. And then, yeah, at a certain point I just switched over completely, but I forget exactly when. But yeah, I remember ICC and they're still, um, I mean, they're still around. They're still kind of kicking IC events on there every once in a while. Definitely not like, I mean, it used to be maybe the, you know, premier chess server in the world, like ICC and, and playchess.com. I never used playchess.com. I was wondering if you guys did, but I know that was also extremely popular back in the day. I've played on playchess once or twice in my life. Very, very little, you know, two, three blitz games total. Okay. Maybe, but ICC, yeah, I spent ages on ICC. Played millions of games. Kostya, you do remind me that people were, I want to say, like, nastier after the games on ICC than what I'm used to nowadays. There like, was no moderation. Really, people <laughs> was really no just take horrible, horrible things. I mean, I, yeah. can't even, I can't even give any samples on our, on our show because it would uh -huh. just be immediately, you know, not, not appropriate for the, the full viewership we want for our podcast. And that's... Such mean things. Yeah, actually, so that's actually where recently, you know, people have been following Kramnik and Kramnik's updates on his chess.com profile. I think that actually comes from ICC, because on ICC, that was a big thing. You would use your notes, like your profile page, as whatever was your current thing at a time. And a lot of people, mm -hmm. they would put the names 
of people, players they think are cheating, players that were rude to them. They would uh-huh. quote, uh, you know, the nastiest things they would ever said to them. Just put that right. in the Yeah, they would have the quotes notes. as, like, the mm-hmm. evidence of, yeah, the notes would be like, this person said this horrible thing. It was awful. And... I remember I was like so terrified of, you know, how people talked after chess games and, you know, what does that mean for having kids use chess.com? And then, of course, we made chesskid.com. But I was terrified because it was so bad. And, of course, you still get people who are mad or say rude things, but it's so much less bad than it used to be. Like now sometimes they'll be like, hey, you're not that good after a game. That's the kind (laughs) of stuff I get now, which... Let me tell you, like nobody ever said anything that nice to me on SPC. <laughs> yeah. But um, but transcending that, I mean, I I played so much on there. I probably learned a lot there. Basically, just played played Blitz, you know. And uh, that's that's a great way to. I don't know, get a little bit better at chess, get a little more exposure, meet some some more people, and. Uh, also, you know, there were times definitely cause I was young where I was just playing way too much, you know, and like forgetting mm-hmm. to sleep and eat and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's an association with ICC as well. Yeah. Let me just say, I think it was really, I mean, it's a complete game changer and let me just describe this might be hard for people to even recognize, but like, imagine you're a kid coming up and there's no internet. Basically, I got to play like the few couple masters that were around and we just play again and again and again. And how many times did I have the opportunity to play, say, titled players? Very rare. It was like a big deal. So the Internet and ICC were suddenly this huge platform, this mixing pot where you could just be playing all kinds of people. Boom, boom, boom. And it was amazing. It was very freeing. And um, it was like, even if whatever you feel about Blitz Chess, and you think it's good or bad, you put you in conversation, basically, in competitive conversation with a bunch of players that simply were just not available to you, except once in a while, you know, you travel to the world open and you get to play some GM or something like that. It was once in a while that that kind of opportunity happened. So it was an amazing um, platform for that. I also played on Gix as I was in Germany at the time, <laughs> the German internet chess server, very similar software. Um, actually, one fun thing about it, about just, let's say, trivia about it is friend of the dojo, James Altucher, wrote the original code for ICC way, way back in the day in the 90s. Wow. And then also, Chess Dojo Trivia, I feel that David was largely responsible for the takeover because you were the one who recruited, or one of the people, who recruited a lot of the top players away from ICC, recognizing that that's what Chess.com needed for it to become like the hub. It already had a bunch of amateurs playing, but even kind of, I want to say 2008, 2009, 2010, you still had loads of people like Kakaru still playing on ICC. And then you guys were like, come over, come over, we need you. And just a couple guys like Kakaru moving over was a big part of the trick. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely felt like I think chess.com wasn't serious until it got like the top players playing on there. I think Title Tuesday. Mm-hmm. was like a good it was was a good piece of how we got people over there but this episode is this episode about why icc is no longer the premier site because i mean that's I one could, of the that's one i could explain very well like you know why people move from icc to chess.com because as you said like yeah i sort of engineered it yeah <laughs> uh, tell us the story well i would say like the main thing was providing financial opportunity for titled players that's what made them move ultimately it's um i mean i i have a general perspective on the world you know that like economic structure plays a huge role in how people behave and then culture you know the ideas and social values and stuff is is the other huge piece but you know just telling people like oh this site is cool come check this site out like can you imagine going around and trying to get people trying to get people to try that it's like very slow right let's say you've got like a new app for like tracking your activity at the gym Mm -hmm. or your 
this or that and you just tell somebody else oh it's like a really cool thing you should check it out that doesn't always work that well right i mean it's kind of what we rely on for the dojo right now but it it, it has the percentage of people who are going to follow on somebody just suggesting something to them is not super super high right um and it's much more compelling when there's money at stake right mm -hmm. so one of the like earliest things that we did was was i started these death matches which are now called the speed chess championships the death yeah. matches would be like a three hour non-stop blitz and bullet or blitz only or bullet only match with you know a pretty good cash prize for three hours of work and so we put money into that and started inviting some good players but then like if you're going to play in a death match for three hours for a thousand dollars or whatever i mean you better know the interface right you don't want to mouse slip mm -hmm. or not know how to queen or flag or right, you know right. whatever so you know we'd say well like get a few games in first right and so mm -hmm. that was like some of the first like title players well we had some like trickle of nms before that but some of the first like you know ims and gms really on there were for some of the death matches and then i would do a thing where it would be like the death match in may is going to be the two highest rated titled players on our blitz list in april mm -hmm. so now suddenly you know if you're like if you're interested in playing this match and the match itself has money and excitement right like the thought of playing like a huge match like that like everybody has done when they were a kid like when you talk our icc experience right you would start rematching some dude, right? And they would talk trash to you and you'd beat yeah. them a couple times and they'd rematch you. And you uh, could play some dude for the entire, like not just you could play chess all night, you could play one guy all night because the two of you were so mad at each other or something. Uh, <laughs> Locked in some nobody can back down macho thingamajig. So the idea of like recapturing that, but on a stage with tons of money and comment, it, like that's really appealing. It kind of mixes some some excitement but also the money piece so you know it's truly exciting yeah. and then people would you know like play a bunch of blitz games trying to get their rating up and qualify into that and then from that we were able to like expand like the budget for title player events with um with the first iterations of what's titled tuesday mm -hmm. and i think that was really <clears throat> that was really the big thing that then just like moved lots and lots of people because that created a system where either you're winning money or you're getting to play better players than yourself in like a really cool tournament. Yeah. So there's like an incentive from like top down um, for all titled players. Yeah, I think we're gonna talk about titled players. It's really interesting because we'll talk about that with chess base too. Um, <clears throat> One thing I want to reflect on just for a second, when it began, I think uh, I want to talk about it as a drug, okay? So one thing that's interesting about drugs, I don't take any drugs really, but what that's kind of noticed um, demographically is drugs will come on the market and they will explode like crack did, uh, like heroin did, and now all these methadone, I don't know what it is now, but there's various drugs that like, they just go boom, and they take up a huge set, portion of the populace gets addicted to this drug, and then suddenly it becomes less of a thing. And I definitely think that early ICC was a drug for chess players. It's like we were hungry for this. We had no experience of spending large amounts of time on the internet. Nobody did. And suddenly this new world opened up and chess players, including myself, just lost it, themselves in it. And one of the hilarious things about IC, ICC didn't, didn't do anything. And in fact, I'm gonna say the biggest reason it declined, though what David said is important, the biggest reason it declined is it never invested in expanding its tech basis. In fact, I think today it's still exactly the same shell it was in 1996 or something. But what it did was there was a little thing on it, on your profile. That I think they ended up taking it away because it was so hurtful to people. And it would say, percent of your life spent on ICC. <laughs> and wow. it was it was a Classic. huge number for a lot of people. And it's like you saw it and you were like, oh, my God. 
because it was so addictive and so powerful to be able to play people online. And so, for example, what I mean by a drug is like, yes, there's people that play a lot on chess.com, but they are already in a system where there's internet all around them. It's not like the internet itself is this new thing. They're, they have, they're probably addicted to all kinds of other things besides just chess on the internet. But back then, like that was the thing on the internet. You know, it was like, <laughs> it was this explosive. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I wanted to play chess so badly, I tried playing chess on Yahoo. You probably tried a couple times too, Jesse. <laughs> and that was like terrible. ICC blew that out of the water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. speaking of once great yeah. chess companies, yeah, Yahoo. <laughs> that was never so much of a chess company. <laughs> um, then the next, okay, so then, not that long after, really, and just in terms of years, a friend of mine turned me on to chess space around 1998. And I would say what chess space did that was actually very similar to what Chesscom did was they were, they just in this, actually, you could say the same way that Chesscom recruited Naka, chess space recruited Kasparov. And Kasparov, even before Chess Space, was known for all of the opening work that he did. And then all of a sudden, Chess Space had this database, dude. And back in the day, it took forever to load the games, but you were still so excited to see it. it, it you could gladly wait a couple minutes for, you know, it search the position, and then it would bring all these positions up. It was absolutely groundbreaking. Uh, it's hard to imagine just like, how democratizing it was because then a chump like me and anybody else we could like easily find our way through opening positions to put it in perspective like when i was a kid there was the eco and a couple other opening books and you'd go through there and it would have like a little analysis symbol like white's a little bit better at the end of the line and then i would like copy games out in a notebook and write it all down it was kind of hard it was very hard to organize and then all of a sudden you get chess space and then you can create your own file and yada, yada. And I want to say it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And not just for openings, but like to easily find games, let's say in your opening or players you were interested in. It was like before that there was like magazines and the games were all over the place. And it's not like you could just suddenly find everyone's, let's say you were interested in Belioski. It's not like you go find Belioski's games real easily, right? <clears throat> Huge labor. And then you would like get, I mean, I feel like Informant was maybe like one of the best resources right. before that, right? And you would go to Informant and some, yeah. and I think sometimes they had like, there was some kind of order that would, or players' names in an index or something. So yeah, you yeah, yeah. You could do it that way too. Theirs, right? But so you even could, there, you would just you could find have like 10 games of Belioski's from like 19 in that time period. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was a lot harder to do. Yeah. And it was just totally groundbreaking. And then pretty quickly after that, they had the first week engines that you could also use just as you can now. And that was also, it's not, wasn't really chess space doing the engine, but it was the engine plus chess space where all of a sudden, it's like, then boom, you have your own chess coach. You don't even need mm -hmm. to hire anybody. You right there, you, you know, you have, a, you, you want an opinion on a position, boom, you got it right there, you know? And it's stronger than anything you're doing, right? So it, it informed all of a sudden the way we were thinking about the game because we were able to use the opening database plus the engine. Totally groundbreaking, totally groundbreaking. Yeah, I mean, okay, a little bit off topic, but I feel like those two things, engine plus database, plus ability to play nonstop, like on ICC, right. those are the three things that are, I think, mostly responsible for, like, how much improvement we've seen in terms of, like, people getting to a high level very early on, so prodigies, essentially, and just people improving super quickly, because now you can be anywhere in the world, you got engines, you got, like, the latest games, and you can just play as much as you possibly want to yeah it's a pretty good combo um so okay just yeah i definitely disagree that chess space is a once great chess company like i feel like they're definitely still kicking much more than 
ICC, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. like I still use Chessbase. Most of my title player um, elite friends use Chessbase as well. There are others, like some other companies that are kind of closing in, like Chessify definitely is making a play for mm-hmm. the Chessbase. But um, for the moment, I mean, I feel like they're still pretty. And Chessbase India, I don't know how closely the Chessbase is related to Chessbase India. I don't know what the relationship is there, but I mean, they're doing really well. So let me give you the argument where, and and, and this was actually the reason I thought of this episode. So just, I'm going to tell an anecdote because this is just a true story that happened recently. So um, I was using Jack's new amazing game editor that dude developed all on his own pretty quickly, pretty quickly. And it's beautiful. And um, so one thing about the game editor is I told him, I was like, for years, Jack, I've been trying to get chess space. I've been typing them little messages. I said, chess space, make a field where we can input the time that was spent on each move. What did I get? Crickets. Never any kind of response. (laughs) And I was like, this must be, you know, my new mind was like, oh, this must be something really hard that they can't figure out how to code. Dude, half a day later, Jack comes up with this amazing time graph that's absolutely revolutionary because you can see at a glance like a story of the game. Then, uh, you know, so I did my notes. I've done chess space for decades, right? In fact, here's, here's an example of how integrated my life is with chess space. I would be dating these girls and they would all have Mac computers and they would look so down on me, so down on me for not having a Mac, right? And, or an iPhone. And I'd be like, listen, there's this thing called chess space. Does it work with the Mac? No so I can't use it. That's why I have a normal Lamo Microsoft PC thing. Okay. And they never understood. And I lost countless opportunities. It was just a real social problem, my friend. But that is an example of how integrated my life was with chess base. So I, uh, that anyway, back to the story. I'm doing my notes on Jack's amazing scoreboard. And I need to transfer, uh, you know, so imagine I'm doing the, the notes, the PGN plus commentary. So then I go to copy and paste it into my chess space window and it will only give me the moves. It won't give me any of the commentary. And so it's a real problem because I have a My Games database that goes back decades in there and it's something I pay a lot of attention to. <clears throat> And um, I'm like, okay, there's got to be a way. And then I've had this so many problems with chess space. I'm spending hours trying to figure out how to do it. How can I make this happen? And you know, other people are having the same problem. And then what do I do? I I do a support ticket with chess space. What do I get? Crickets. Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And it's like, wait a second. Wait a second. We built this thing that's already better than Chessbase, and they can't even answer my question. And their interface, honestly, it still looks like 1999. It has not evolved at all. And the reason it, I feel like it kind of sort of still exists is just because the reputation of it being the thing that the top players use. But Competition is there, and I feel like already, like Kosi did the Chessify review, that thing already seems better than Chessbase. If you want to use, for example, fancy computers, if you want to do it that way, that seems great, dude. Um, and the other thing with Chessbase is the learning curve is so immense. So I cannot recommend people use Chessbase. And before this, any person just beginning their quest of game annotations, I would say Lee Chess, Lee Chess Studies, because that was so much easier to understand than how to use chess space. Chess space takes weeks, dude, months, years. I, I've been using it for decades. I still don't understand that thing. It's done, dude, and they're not improving. They are not improving. And one of the reasons I thought this was an interesting topic is just like, oh, if you are a chess company and you do not improve and you think you can just sit there like an ICC or a chess space, no, you're done, dude. You're going to get taken off the map. Even if you have complete market dominance. Like, right. let's be clear that ICC had complete, complete ownership of the market. 
And mm-hmm. chess base, it's the same. And in fact, they still have it. Jesse's just talking to us from like a year in the future where they don't anymore. Jesse's ahead of the curve. Yeah. I mean, he's talking to us from the future. Kostya rightly says that basically any serious chess player you know at this point still uses chess base. Um, but Jesse's seeing the writing on the wall while they're still on top. And Maybe it'll be the dojo training awesome. program. I mean, it is pretty cool. You know, we you can now like annotate your own games and just keep a collection of them. And I think at some point we'll probably introduce. Uh, we already have the database, but we'll have uh, some kind of masters database you could look at. We'll no, probably. We won't. No, I mean that's that's the plan. We might even bring in the ability to you know use your local engine if you've got one on your PC. You can. You can just, you know, just all in one, just annotate all your games, save all I your know games. know about this roadmap. Aren't we getting pretty far afield from, like, telling people what to do? But wait, before, well, we, before, we, before we go on the dreams of the dojo, yeah. I want to push back a little bit. Come on back to it later. So back, let's say, 15, 20 years ago, for sure, every top player is using chess base. But let me just tell it like a couple anecdotals. So, for example, this kid, Abihami Mishra, right? I'm not saying his name right, Mishra, let's say Mishra. That kid grew up on chessable. He did not grow up on uh, chess base. He probably has chess base, but the opening study he did and all the other things that he did, boom, you know, uh, that was all chessable. Um, and here's actually a funny story. My friend, um, it just hit me, Corrales, Fidel Corrales Jimenez, who's a very strong GM from Cuba. He told me it's really interesting. He's never actually read a chess book and everything he had was just chess space. He would go over the games. He would do all this stuff. I mean, he's a, you know, a little older, of course, right? Mm-hmm. But these younger generation, no, I don't think it's clear that they're just using chess space. I don't think that's clear at all. Um, especially when you consider that what, say my friend, our friend of the dojo, Eugene Perlstein is using these supercomputers where you rent out space, and that's the Chessify model. If you really want to be competitive and you want to go super deep, then you're not going to be using Stockfish 16. Not on your, your desktop computer, you're going to be using the supercomputer. From what I've seen, and maybe this will change in the next couple of years, but coaching these like world youth events where you know, I'm working with kids that are like under eight, under 10, and they show up to prep you know, for their 30 minutes before their game. And most of them, they've already got like chess base installed on their computers. Because what happens mm-hmm. is their coach uses chess base. And so they're like, okay, to work with my coach, I need to see their PGN files. I'll get chess base. And then usually, yeah, they don't know how to use it super well. They just kind of have it. They've all got their quirks, but it, yeah. it does have a, it does have a grip, but um, yeah, I'm with you in that there could be a, a better way. You know, Jesse, I just played this tournament, Sunway Sitkis, without chess base. That's the first tournament, serious tournament I've played in like uh-huh. ages without chess base. Right. What did you use instead? And I made it and I made it through. <laughs> what did you do instead of chess base? Um I used chess.com. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, I looked up games in the chess.com database and well, I shouldn't say everything about how I prepare, should I? But <laughs> well, I mean, it's, I'm just. But it's interesting, right? Because you showed up there and you were like, "I'm not even. I don't even have this thing anymore that used to be part of my soul." Right. And now I'm just going to be using these other things. Yeah, like Jesse, I'm on a Mac for like the first time in my life. Like I came. There to, you go. I came you to go, France yeah. with a Mac as a chess player, and went to a tournament. It's a big and deal. I was just I, like, I would use Chess.com analysis board sometimes, like you know make some moves and try out some variations and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. Actually here, let's just highlight this. So chess base has been around all this time and they still haven't figured out how to run their program on a Mac. Are you kidding me? So these people on the Mac, they have to do like some jujitsu to run windows on their computers. Oh no. Yeah, what it's very sad. It's very sad. What a disaster. Yeah. Um, okay, actually, another company, this wasn't even on our list, but it just came to mind. And I like this company, but I feel like they got issues, is uh, DGT. You know, they make these very expensive chess boards, and they rarely work with 
you know, the accuracy that we would want, especially in these high-level uh, Blitz events. Uh-huh. Um, like, World Rapid and Blitz almost always has relay issues. And it feels like it shouldn't be that hard to have a chessboard that can relay moves and maybe cost less than $400. But, yeah, I feel like... Yeah. I mean, add it to when... the list. I don't know if they count as once great though, right? Because it's like a company that never quite found a totally compelling business model, like a way to, mm-hmm. you know, provide a product that that a large enough segment of the chess world can use. Like, how many people have a DGT board? Yeah. Um, well, they they sell a lot of them, I think, to uh, like tournaments and tournament organizers. Right. And I mean, for the most part, like any tournament that's broadcasting games is using. DGT boards, right. so they've got a fix, but, but yeah, I feel like so small. Mm-hmm. And there's room to, so I think there's room to overtake. You're saying their market sure. is only basically tournament organizers, and then even there, they don't have all of them, right? It's like they've got a sub segment of the tournament organizer market. Well, they sell yeah. like clocks too, and amateurs yeah. will buy their boards as well to to try and like play online chess. Um, but now, of course, that that's becoming very competitive, like the eboards. So, DGT definitely doesn't have. But they they had a huge lead, I think, on that market, because um, they were around, you know, for many years before all these new boards. Um, yeah. Like uh, like DM Hokey's been doing reviews on this board. I think it's called Chestnut, and then there's a couple from Millennium. Um, but yeah, uh, by the way, you guys, I want to say, talk about what could come next. This guy on a dojo has been playing chess with virtual reality goggles in the metaverse, bro. And I, at first I thought it was ridiculous, okay. but I watched the little <laughs> promo vid and I'm like, Oh no, this could turn into a thing. So imagine instead of having that board in front of you, you're wearing the goggles and I swear to God, you're actually moving the pieces, boss. You're moving fake pieces in front of your face. It's a virtual reality thing. With your hand? Like you're grabbing the air, but it's moving pieces. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard for me to wrap my mind around, but Hmm. we already have at least one person in the dojo who is like, this is the way, you know? That could be cool, Uh, moving, Playing OTB with yeah. uh, with VR, we already it suggested a- people to just set up a board when you're playing online, but that's too much work. I get it. So you could just put goggles on and then yeah. just play OTB. The hilarious thing too is it might be the one uh, anti-cheating measure is to wear those goggles, right? <laughs> it might be really hard to cheat with those goggles on your face. You would need hmm. an accomplice who hacked into the goggles for you. Yeah, that's right. Um, one thing I want to stress about chess space Fascinating. that's interesting for me to think back on is back in the day, it was the place for chess news. Like they had just like every day they'd have one or two articles and it was really the only way to kind of stay up to date on what was there going on in the chess world. And mm-hmm. they had great articles, especially by Mig Greengard, who later worked for Kasparov. And they were hilarious, funny, well-written and, um, that has evolved, like Kostya said, a little bit into chess space India, where they somehow, it's like they're probably their, their best feature of their whole business model right now is they got Sagar Shah to do his journalism and that guy has taken over the Indian chess market and he's still affiliated with chess base India. Um, but back in the day, it was really like, that was the one source of news. And now we got these podcasts, we got Twitter feeds, we got this and that. But there's still not like some person who's writing witty, interesting articles, right? Like like you had back in the day with Chessbase. Yeah, I remember when I was working for Chess.com that I would still go to Chessbase to read the chess news. Mm-hmm. Right. For sure. And now I go to Chess.com to read chess news. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That basically, their their news got revolutionized when they got Peter Doggers. Though I got to say, Peter Doggers was way more fresh when he was this independent dude all by himself doing chess vibes, you know, and now, 
he's kind of just, I don't know, he sounds corporate, Ross. He sounds corporate. He's not funny anymore. He used to be funny, like Meg Greengard used to be funny. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, nah, I, I still think he, he does good, really good writing and work. Like he and, and Mike Klein, especially, I feel like are great. I feel um, like Mike Klein is journalists. great, but Mike Klein is doing chess kid, dude. He doesn't have no time. Yeah. yeah. And no, it's just like, okay, just officially, you know, they're affiliated. They're hired by chess.com, chesskid.com. So by default, they just can't be independent anymore. Um, chess.com is just too big and, and massive. So yeah, it is. I think that's definitely something that's totally just missing from the chess world right now. It's just a completely like independent news source with like multiple people. But that's hard. I mean, it's hard to, uh, to monetize. It's not easy. Yeah, Jesse was telling was saying this to me before the uh, before the show, before Costia even joined, right, Jesse? That we have something that doesn't quite replace it, but what we have now instead of a great chess news scene. You mean I don't want to steal it from you? Twitter world or what do you mean? The podcast, the podcast yeah. world, yeah, yeah. But you know, let yeah. me just say, no. I'll, I'll say I love doing this podcast. But for example, I am not uh, being a journalist. Right. Right. Like, like, for example, Mike Klein is actually trained in journalism and that dude yes. would go and actually, you know, poke around and ask uncomfortable questions and then, you know, look behind the scenes more than any podcaster is ever going to do. You know? Right. So all we've got is the op eds covered in the podcast world, but not we, we like got all the hot investigative takes. journalism. Yeah, we got all the hot takes of Twitter going on. You know? Well, yeah, I, I think it's going to be true for most podcasts because if you have a guest, you don't you want them back, so you don't want to just like grill them the whole time, uh-huh. <laughs> like push them on the stuff that, yeah, they're going to be uh, tough about. Right, and Twitch is mentioning Macaulay Peterson. That guy was also great. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know what happened to him. He was amazing. Yeah, he moved on to other interests outside the chess world. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was involved with chess 24 at some point, which we should discuss as well because they're like the most recent example of a once great chess company that has now fallen. Unfortunately, just recently they were, I think supposedly taken down or they were taken down. I don't know. People are very sad about that. Um, I was definitely sad about it. I think chess 24, they had a great, like, kind of culture and they had some great content too like mm-hmm. i learned a lot from their video series and built my like opening repertoire off their videos like king's indian sicilian they had stuff with, like Dvoretsky. So they had a bunch of like great stuff they had great commentators different languages too yeah um but uh yeah i don't know it's just like maybe it's just too fun over there because they never made money so it's just <laughs> too much fun all the time I don't know. Well, I think that story we talked about a little bit before, but my just general take on it, right, was that Play Magnus got Chess24, and then they were like, we're going to beat Chess.com. And then they poured all kinds of money and resources into it, and it was money they didn't actually have, and it was like basically they went broke, and then Chess.com bought them for nothing, right? That's the that's the broad take of, I think, what happened over there at Chess24. And I'll just tell one anecdotal story. So me and Kostya, this is just like mm. how money was being misspent. Me and Kostya <laughs> were invited to do this thing like 2020 to do, uh, it was called Co-Chess. It was supposed to be like chess coaching and it was supposed to be this hot new thing. And they paid an immense amount of money to recreate Zoom on their little portal. It did not work. It did not work as well as Zoom. But they didn't want the coaches to go outside, so they created this janky little thing. It was terrible, but they spent a lot of money on it. Then, it's just an anecdote, they paid some photographer from Philly to drive down to my place in Baltimore to take fancy pictures of me, you know? And it was like, we're gonna invest this money to create this high quality content. But that was like, that, that, that costs money, dude. It costs money. And so those are just examples of how they were blowing it, uh, trying to aim so big that the industry crashed and burned. That was my take on it, a lot of the mm-hmm. similar stuff. Yeah. They're kind of a counterpoint to your take on chess base and ICC, which you think didn't like push their technology and didn't innovate enough. But mm-hmm. Chess24, even before Play Magnus, 
took them over, their MO was to invest tons of money and tons, you know, like really work on their technology, as you say, recreate Zoom and other things like that. Right. Um, so they were always spending a lot of money and something, something never quite clicked for them as far as taking over the market with their product. They, they never had, I felt, an enjoyable interface for playing, mm -hmm. and they never really got the top players to play on their site. You know? Well, for me, it was, it was the board. I think the, their board was the board just was terrible, really, yeah. really slow. Like chess.com, Lee Chess, I feel like it's pretty close. A lot of people prefer one or the other. Uh, for me, it's about the same. But yeah, the Chess24 board is just kind of, yeah, it was always like delayed. It's just yeah, lagging. Terrible. Terrible. And it was also there you had a learning curve for like, how do you export to PGN? How do you do this? It was really hard. It took a, took a while to learn how to do all the stuff. And, and actually, part of it you could blame on Leeches because Leeches made it so much easier than uh, Chess24. And I can guarantee that they spent a lot less money at Leeches than Chess24 <laughs> developing that janky platform. Yeah. Like, five orders of magnitude less money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, David, tell me if this is correct. This is a broad stroke history of Lee Chess, that the guy who was working at chess.com and he was like a genius computer dude, but also like you, communist, and then he was upset at the capitalism of chess.com and he split no. and went to Lee Chess. That's not true? That's not the broad stroke history of it? No. Um... He never worked on chess.com. He worked on a different project okay. along with people from chess.com, but he already had his own Lee Chess project that he'd started working on on his own before that. And okay. the chess.com people knew that he was working uh, on a chess project as well. And that wasn't an obstacle to working together on a third thing that was neither chess.com nor Lee Chess. Okay. All right. Good. But but you're right that he was a super awesome French dude. Uh-huh. Um, still is, or I don't know. I mean, never still really is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Still yeah. is, super awesome yeah. French dude. Uh-huh. That much is definitely true. Um, and, you know, obviously did a great job with Lee Chess. I don't think there's likely to be anybody who disagrees with that. Right, right. Yeah, Lee Chess has survived despite, you know, relying on, like, a kind of donation model which is always tough because people have to be like reminded to donate and, and subscribe and stuff. Um, but I feel like they've done very well. I mean, they have definitely been around for a while and they've definitely improved their, their site. Um, like with different like features and the way everything is set up and the studies and all that stuff. Um, and I feel like they're, they're doing quite well. They also adapted to like the, uh, the chess TV uh, world because right. now they've got like their streamers and they got their own version like Lee Chess TV. Yeah. Did you recently get mated? Well, it's time to join the Chess Dojo training program. Or maybe you just enjoy this fine content. Give us some money on the Patreon. I need to keep the lights on. And with inflation, it's really hard for Costa to be buying that avocado toast. And actually, Kosa, you brought up on this list, you brought up Chess Bomb, and I only used it sparingly. But was it like a Russian thing that then Chess.com bought? What's your understanding of Chess Bomb? Uh, I don't know who owned Chess Bomb. I just remember it as a relic of the old chess internet where you would follow games on Chess Bomb, you would look at the colors of the moves, and that would signify whether one side was playing well or if someone blundered. You had the chess bomb chat, which was legendary in its own regard. Um, <laughs> but yeah, at some point, chess.com bought it. Not that long. It was just a couple of years ago, I think. Yeah. And um, yeah, moved all the games to their events page. Um, but chess uh, bomb, it was, yeah, it was, that was very popular. big enough so that if you were at a tournament and you got like 30 minutes to prepare for some dude and you type dude's name in and uh games chess bomb was one of the first links that would come up with a bunch of the dude's games you know mm. so it, it at least yeah it was pretty big in that regard you get you know 
there's a lot of competition for that space. Yeah. Now I saw a lot of people complaining about the chess.com events page, especially because chess24 was admittedly a great place to follow live games. Um, I don't know. I personally don't mind the uh, chess.com events page. I feel like it's not that hard to navigate and you can search for events. You can search for a player and see all the events they played in, which I think is very useful, uh, especially if you're looking someone up and you want to see like what recent events they played. You just input their name and then you see like where they at least had live games. Um, but yeah, it is something that is being taken over. Mm-hmm. I think chess.com's event viewing is not perfect, but serviceable. Yeah, it so could improve. Let me, let me ask you something, because maybe I think my initial takeaway of like the historical perspective, but maybe you put in a, nuanced on, a more nuanced view on it, is my initial takeaway was these companies died because they didn't invest in... A lot, in a lot of ways, everything. They didn't invest in media. They didn't invest in their tech. They didn't invest in the top players, right? Um, and maybe that's the best way to say it, because I was saying tech at first, but maybe it's really the combination of all three of those things, hmm. right? Yeah. Maybe you can even add more to that. Yeah, because to some extent, you could say that Chess24 and Play Magnus over-invested, right? Which can also right. be problem you can you can bust your business that way um so it doesn't help if you if you invest in a bunch of fancy clothes that aren't cool looking you're gonna go that's kind of like what happened (laughs) to 24 man yeah and um yeah i mean i guess chess.com definitely thought about like what's the value proposition for all different sort of segments of users right like casual users tournament users professional and titled users you know so they thought about different like cases and scenarios and what should we have to offer to all those different groups and um i don't know enough of the internal details you know with with play magnus or or chess 24 to know exactly why they why they weren't able to make as much money as they invested if they just simply invested so much that it was impossible to recover that much money, period, no matter how well they did, mm-hmm. or if they struggled at some point in the value proposition, or like you said, the playing experience. I know very few people who actually played on the site. Right. And um, and uh, that's, that's a pretty fundamental piece of chess, right? So chess.com, we added all these features, right? Like hundreds and hundreds of different things on chess.com to a point where at times we're like, oh, maybe is it like almost too much? Like, you know, you can't track it down and find it, you know, coaches and history and classified ads locally for chess books and clothes and stuff, you know? Is it like maybe too much? But chess.com never lost sight of the fact that the page people were going to visit most was the page to play a game and that that needed to be like a good page and a good product for free users, for first time users, et cetera. Right, right. So that may be somewhere where Chess24 might've like failed a little bit on like, on like really honing in on, on that being fundamental to a chess website. Like it's great that you're doing events. It's great that you've got videos and blah, blah, blah. You know, as a content person, I was very excited to do that for chess.com, right? More excited about that than let's do a third revamp of like what the playing interface looks like, or like, David, what do you think of these pixels on this night? Is like this gonna (laughs) improve the playing experience to have this new font of pieces or whatever, right? That's less interesting to me, but I think business-wise, it was probably pretty good that that Eric and others at chess.com stayed focused on that experience. Um, and so like an example of that is sort of streamlining, like how quickly once somebody lands on your site, can they be playing a game? Right. That's like an example of, you know, a business strategy question that's useful to ask yourself. Right. And I think one of the things about both Lee Chess and um, Chess24 was there's a kind of elitism about both of those sites, right? Where 
Chess 24 is just for some dude who's like bored at work and wants to come in and play a game. Also easier to find. It's really hard. It was hard to find Chess 24 and Lee Chess. But then boom, you're what are you going to do? You're going to find chess.com and go play a game, you know? And then you're, we've got your friend Joe over there. He's playing on chess.com too. Oh, maybe we'll play a game together. But Lee Chess, I love Lee Chess. I like, I, by the way, I love the, the interface of Lee Chess was, is so much better than what Chess 24 was. But there's a certain elegance about Lee Chess and a learning curve that has to do with like players who are interested in like their studies and they're interested in, you know, different, it's a different, it's, it's like kind of the, the difference between uh, blue state voters and red state voters. There's <laughs> a little bit of elitism about both of those sites. That's uh, mm -hmm. interesting where chess.com is obviously capturing the vast um, herd of people who are just wanting to play a game and aren't wanting to take it too seriously. Yeah. It, it does feel a little bit like Lee Chess people are, are the Mac MacBook users. And if you yeah, play on chess.com, then yeah. they look down <laughs> on you. <laughs> <They're> like, oh. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> Uh, but no. I guess one fundamental element of any once great chess company going away is that someone has to come along with a better product, right? Like mm. you could make any kind of like good moves or bad moves, but ultimately for something to overtake it, they have to be able to offer a better product or experience to people. Yeah, right? And I think so that's with... like the risk for chess base right now mm -hmm. is that their experience could be improved on. And, um, you know, it could happen to chess.com or Lee Chess, even though they each have like excellent products at the moment. Right. And it's very true to Kostya's point that chess space, one of the things is there's no clear decisive winner yet. It's clear to me that it's going down and it's definitely being edged out of what it was. Like you have people using Chessable and whatever, people are going to be using our site, our game editor, all kind of Chessify. So there's all of these different players out there who are doing better, I think, than what chess base is doing. But it's no clear distinctive winner yet, right? And that's what a lot of people will need as a kind of like a consensus, right? They'll want to be like, oh, my coach uses so-and-so, right? And the other problem that chess base has, by the way, is you don't get to watch players streaming chess base. It happens very rarely. I've done it a couple times myself, right? And actually, Chesscom got mad at me. But anyways, it was very, you know, it's not something you stream. So it's like the beginner and average players don't see it. And for the most part, yeah, they, nor do they need it, you know. Anyways, there's my two cents. Well, I've learned a lot from this. I, I've learned that we need to make sure that we innovate, but also focus on the fundamental experience of the Dojo training program user. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, those are my takeaways. Ghost <laughs> yeah. is like, I'm sitting here in a business school class. <laughs> no, this is very informative, actually. It's interesting to reflect on the different companies. Well, cool, guys. Let's end it there. All right. All right. Good pod. Thanks, y'all. See you next time. <laughs>